Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Today we bring to you another bonus episode from a conversation I recently had with John Steingard. You might recognize this name. He was formerly the lead singer for the rock band, Christian rock band, known as Hawk Nelson. A number of weeks ago, he came out with a 2,200-word post on Instagram saying that he no longer believes the Christian faith. Well, interestingly enough, we both got invited onto the radio show out of the UK, uh, Unbelievable with Justin Brierley, who you've heard us interview on this podcast before, and we had a wonderful conversation about leaving the faith, staying in the faith, big barriers to the faith. In fact, the conversation was so positive, it got a ton of hits on the Unbelievable show that afterwards I invited John onto my YouTube channel. We had a follow-up conversation after the one that you're about to hear. But nonetheless, I think you're really going to enjoy the exchange here, the discussion, and when we get to the heart of some of the objections that he had and tough questions to the Christian faith. So as usual, if you do enjoy this, we hope that you will consider sharing it with a friend. Thanks so much and enjoy this bonus episode. Well, today's show is all about another Christian worship leader who's lost his faith. What's going on? We're asking on today's show. John Steingard uh, of the Christian band Hawk Nelson recently announced on Instagram that he no longer considers himself a Christian. And he's the latest in a number of Christian personalities who have renounced their faith. So John's joining me to talk about his story and engage with our Christian guest, Sean McDowell, who's written a response blog to John's. And Sean's been on the show a number of times before, very recently, actually. Um, And I'm going to make sure there are links to both my guests. Uh, You can find it in the show info today. So do make sure to check out both their websites, their Instagram and Twitter and so on. Um, Welcome along to the show, John and Sean. Great to have you with me. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having us. Uh, let's start with you, John, uh, as a newcomer to the show. Uh, I, I must confess, I haven't followed Hawk Nelson, but I do know some of the songs. I think one of your songs, Diamonds, is actually on regular rotation on our radio station at the moment. Um, but obviously, you've become more well-known in a, in a way in the last few weeks since you made this declaration on, on your Instagram. Take us back, though. Tell us what you how growing up was um where christian faith came into the picture for you there and and what this what this recent journey has been in terms of you deciding actually you're you're not sure you believe it anymore totally um well i'm a i grew up in a christian home i'm a pastor's kid uh my my parents um yeah are just incredibly loving warm people uh sometimes in this process people have said, oh, you're, you must not have been parented right. And, and if you come at my mama, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, yeah, but, but basically I was raised in, in a very uh, Christian environment, uh, participating in Christian culture. Um, definitely in the 90s when I was, you know, a, a, an older child and like a young teen, there was definitely a movement of like Christian everything, right? It was like, so like secular is bad and we don't touch that stuff and we do everything Christian. And so I was, I definitely came up in that environment. And, um, when I, when I was 20, I joined a band called Hawk Nelson and, um, we started, you know, touring in the U S and, and that became a full-time thing really quickly and, uh, ended up doing that for 15 years or 16 years. Um, and through the process of that, like I started out as the guitar player. So I was just sort of in a more supportive role and I became the singer in 2012, and that kind of catapulted me into this position where uh, 
I had a microphone and I was writing songs and I was sort of like casting the vision for the band. And a funny thing happens when, when you become the singer of a Christian band. All of a sudden you're put in this role that has a almost a pastoral element. And, and there's an expectation that you're going to have something worthwhile to say. And so I feel like that was a season of me digging in a little more and going like, oh, I really need to be able to say things that are meaningful and, and, and to write songs that are meaningful to people. Like I wanted to do that. And, and I, and I did that and, and as much as I could. And, and then over time, I just started to have more and more questions about the reality of who God is and yeah, the Christian faith and the traditions I had been raised in. And I think while I was doing Hawk Nelson, uh, I think anytime I had a doubt or a question, I was so terrified of it because it threatened my livelihood, right? And and my social relationships and my family relationships. And like, I was so scared of, of finding myself in this position where I'd have to get up on stage and sing something that I didn't believe that I think I just stuffed, stuffed those questions and doubts down for a long time and didn't let myself think about it. And eventually... You know, for other reasons, uh, we started taking a, a sort of steps back from the band. I, I had my wife and I had some kids. All of us sort of developed different careers, and I found myself in a place where my financial well-being, my livelihood, no longer depended on Hawk Nelson as much. And so it didn't, like, I didn't have to be a Christian to make a living anymore. And and then it hit me one day. If I don't have to believe in God, do I? And that question, like, I did not know what to do with that question. It terrified me. Uh, And it sort of set off this year and a half process of reading, learning, trying to understand. And and that kind of led me to a place where... um, Eventually, I felt like I had to be publicly honest about how I was feeling, and that's what led to my post. Mm. I mean, I I looked up at some of the lyrics of some of the songs that you have written and sung uh, in the past. I mean, going back, I guess, five years, Sold Out says, in a world full of followers, I'll be a leader. In a world full of doubters, I'll be a believer. I'm stepping out without a hesitation because the battle's already been won. I mean, how do you feel kind of revisiting some of those songs yeah. which proclaim such a bold faith at least on the surface yeah no i i think uh, that's awesome that you bring that up i i i feel super conflicted now when i hear that stuff no, i don't find myself regretting it because i i felt like i was in a position where my job was to create anthems of of faith for believers and um and while I, at the time I think I had the beginning seeds of some doubts, I still like, I still believed, but I think even more than that, like I really wanted to believe, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I go back to that verse in, I think it's John, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And I feel like I lived in that place for a really long time. And when I wrote songs like that, that was me going like, I'm choosing to believe this even though I sometimes have doubts or I struggle, but, but I'm, I'm choosing to put my faith in this 
It, and it, that that sentiment sounds a lot more like one of the more recent songs that I dug out as well, Never Let You Down, which is about two mm. years old, I think, where one of the lines is, caught in chaos, I'm knee deep, wrestling with all of my disbelief. In this moment, I hear you speak, break through the noise and consume me. It's a, It sounds almost like a prayer of sort of, you know, I believe, help me in my unbelief sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some of that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, and I want to talk, a little bit in today's show not just about the specific doubts that led you to this place in your journey but also kind of the fact that obviously as i'm sure you're fully aware there's been a number of other fairly high profile people who who have um, shared similar things on instagram and elsewhere in the last year or two um welcome back to the show sean uh it's great to have you back um not the first time i've, I've had you in this kind of a conversation um bart campolo yeah. i think a couple of years ago you came on to do a That's similar right. kind of dialogue yeah. with and Ryan Bell, too. We've had a couple of former evangelists, pastors, and had this dialogue. And it's always been fun. Thanks for having yeah. me back. Well, uh, it's because you're a great person at doing these dialogues that I invite you back, Sean. <laughs> and and the, the, the response blog I thought you did to John's statement was, was very helpful, measured, gracious. Um, do you want to just sort of briefly spell out kind of some of the things you wanted to, to put across in that particular blog on your website? Uh, sure. I, I was sitting down to work on something else and I saw your story come across, John, and thought, oh man, this is a big story. A lot of people are going to be talking about this. I set aside what I was going to do and said, you know what? I want to just give a thoughtful, respectful, measured response because I know some people would dismiss your story entirely, sadly. Some people would jump on and say, it's right, Christianity is false. I'm like, well, that's not, it doesn't follow from that. And I also felt like I really related to your story as I read it. Not that I'm a rock star. Every time I sing, my kids are like, save it for speaking. I cannot <laughs> sing anything, no musical talent. But I grew up in a Christian home, in fact, in a very public Christian home, and now have somewhat of a public life and understand some of the dynamic of like, wow, if I don't believe this, what it means for my relationships, what it would mean for my future, like, I get that, not just intellectually, but emotionally. And I really felt mm. for you as you wrote it. I thought, man, you used the word terrified in your post. I thought, man, here's a guy who's being vulnerable and open. Let's respond, but do so kindly. And I was hoping you'd read it. Had no idea you did. So <laughs> it's great we're having, having this conversation. So I was just, in some ways, just kind of comparing and contrasting our stories a little bit. And obviously, there's so much more to your story than in, in that blog. But one of the differences was you, meant, you mentioned doubt. I, I have a father who's been an apologist for 50 plus mm -hmm. years before any modern apologist, he was doing this. And as confident as he is in his faith and writes books called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, one of the narratives that he pushed to me was he'd say, son, question things. Always look at both sides. Doubt is okay. And a lot of people are surprised by that. And I did go through a doubting period when I was about 19 years old when the internet was really getting big and you could first search stuff. And I found some of the atheist web began responding to my dad's book chapter by chapter. And it really threw me for a spin like, wow, I know he means well, but holy cow, what if these people are right? And I remember laying in my bed, John, feeling that like, holy cow, this is radical. And to make a long story short, I had a conversation with my dad and he goes, son, I think that's great you're doubting. And I'm like, did you hear anything I just said? He goes, I didn't raise you just believe because I said or believe because of some emotion 
follow truth no matter where it leads. And if you really think the evidence doesn't point towards Christianity, don't be a Christian. And he said, you know, your mom and I will love you no matter what. And I can tell you that just gave me some freedom to really look at my life before it was public writing, speaking, going through that saying, okay, what do I believe? Why does this make sense? I've got to have some authenticity there. So I think some of our experiences in the church was a little bit different. Our experiences with doubt had some difference, although I think there's a lot in common. We could draw out some of these that I think it just would be helpful for people looking in at our, our two experiences. Yeah, and I was going to say that inevitably you, you, you were in a somewhat unusual position, Sean, of growing up with an apologist father. And so had, yeah. I guess, a lot of opportunity to engage growing up with, with those ways of looking at faith and understanding. I don't know what your experience was, though, John, whether it was, it was not so much a, a kind of church tradition or, or faith that engaged with the intellectual questions around Christianity. What, what, what was your experience growing up? Yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up in a is a very charismatic environment. So a, a heavy emphasis on uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, emphasis on exp- very. It was a very experiential environment, and um, and you know, as as you know, like experiences are very subjective. So so uh, I I feel like that was sort of the environment I I really grew up in. When I was 17 or 18, I moved out on my own for a while, and uh, I started going to this uh, church that's an offshoot of the Baptist movement. It's called, uh, I mean, are you familiar with Willow Creek in Chicago? It's a, it's a, it's a, there, in Barrie, Ontario, where I was living, uh, there was a, there was an, uh, a, a daughter church or a sister church or a, you know, um, affiliated church of Willow Creek, and the pastor there was like, like I grew up in this like free flowing hippie almost sort of like church service style and I started going to this Willow Creek church and like it was structured and they would end at like 12 p.m. exactly <laughs> and uh and you know and and the teaching was much more professorial you know it was uh it was hey this month we're looking at this section of scripture we're going to break it down historically and see what there you know what is what is this text trying to tell us in the context of, you know, when it was written? And uh, that was really, really interesting to me. And, and I really loved my time at that church because it, it, it taught me a whole new way of looking at God and the Bible. And, and, and it was really helpful. Um, I think as I went more into touring and being a part of the band, the thing about touring is that is that you you're on the road every weekend. And so for a solid like 10 years, pretty much every Sunday we were traveling playing a show somewhere. So I I really struggled to be connected to a church during that time and I would go to a church like on a random Sunday and not really feel connected to it. I would try to watch live streams as that became a thing and I just never felt like I connected and I can imagine it's a, a slightly almost yeah, schizophrenic experience just experiencing such a you know a wide range of church services but not really having one to call home for a long time yeah and the the other thing I saw during that time too it was like you know sometimes we'd play at a church on Sunday and I'd I'd participate or I'd, or I'd visit their service and like there's a really wide variety of churches in America <laughs> and and it 
it was really interesting for, for me to see all these different expressions of faith and go like that interesting, like pretty much all of these people or these groups, there's this little bit of a sense of like, well, you know, we're all Christians, but like we got it right. And, and, and I remember noticing that and being like, well, that's, well, that's interesting. You know, is the, and wondering like, is there a, is there a right version of this, you know, or, or is it, or is there a, you know, or, or is, is the sort of like diversity, is that a feature, <laughs> you know? Well, I'd be interested in hearing from you on some of that, Sean, um, both, I suppose the experience as, as, uh, John says that far more of an experiential kind of way of experiencing mm-hmm. Christianity only later really uh, experiencing something that's got more of a historical sort of um, intellectual kind of basis to it. And, and yeah, and just the fact that in the course of touring, obviously not having a church to call home, but seeing, hang on, Christians are pretty varied actually in terms of the way they express their faith and maybe what they believe as well. Um, any thoughts on that, John? Well, I can definitely relate to a degree when I, I spent a year child with my dad out of college and we traveled with like Rebecca St. James on a bus tour and you're there nonstop. And there's mm-hmm. some relational challenges that come with that. Uh, they're difficult to connect in a church, just not feeling like I know people here. And that, that disconnection from church and consistent relationships can affect you emotionally, can affect us on so many different levels. Um, it's interesting to hear that your experience was, was so experiential. I went and worked at a church in LA uh, called the Dream Center for a year. And that's very, a, a, a charismatic church. And that just rocked me out of my comfort zone. It kind of made me realize, you know, there's people that have a very experiential faith. You know, Jesus said, love God with your heart and with your soul and with your mind. There's an emotional component and there's an intellectual component. And I think the healthy balances between the two, and it sounds like the, the two of us came from a little bit of a, a different background on that. But I will tell you one thing that, that my dad taught me, and I'd be curious what you think about this. He'd say, son, guard your heart with your mind, not your mind with your heart. Guard your heart with your mind, not your mind with your heart. In other That's words, like you said, our experience can be interpreted in so many different ways and lead us astray with our feelings and our experience. There has to be an anchor of what is actually true that helps us process this experience. So for me, as I've seen things in the world that are heartbreaking and, uh, you know, and questions that I have, I always come back to the question, okay, why am I a Christian? Why Mm. do I believe this? And for me, it's because I really believe it's true that Jesus rose from the grave. And I think the evidence is there, number one. And then number two, I think existentially, there's a heart cry for us for a story like that, which is why Mm. I won't spend too much time on this. But even the movie Infinity War and Endgame climaxes with one person, the only of 14 million possible ways that you can save the universe with somebody laying down their life. It's like we resonate with that. That's the human heart. And the evidence backs it up. So we need both of these. I think there's value in it. But I think always going back to the question, especially with what scripture says, I know you did believe about the heart can be deceptive. And Jesus said it's from the inside that comes, you know, lust and greed and sloth. We've always got to come back to what is true. 
that's kind of what my parents taught me as I process different experiences. Yeah. And that, that is, um, I just agree with so much of what you're saying here. Like, like I, I do agree that, uh, you do have to have some sort of an anchor. Like there has to be some sort of a foundation to your belief that, that is solid. You have to be able to build on something. You, and, and, you know, I, I, I think the whole, yeah, the thing that is interesting to me is, is that when I look at what people choose as an anchor, Sometimes I look at it and I go, well, like, I don't know that that's objectively true, but this person has chosen this anchor. And, and sometimes the evidence given is the benefits, right? And it's like, well, look at all the benefits of living as a Christian, you know, the community. Uh, look at what happens when a, someone who's plugged into a Christian church, look at what happens when they die, how people typically gather around the family and support them so well. Like these are benefits, right? And so sometimes all of these things are given as evidence. And, I, and I'm like, well, those things are great. And they're actually like a great thing to be a part of. But just because something is beneficial doesn't make it objectively, like literally true. Amen. And, and so like, <laughs> so I look at like, like, like money, right? Like money has no literal value, but it, it has value because we all agree it has value. Um, human rights, uh, atheists, most atheists would say they believe in human rights. But human rights are, you know, if you don't believe in any higher power, then human rights are just a human construct, right? We decide, we decide that it's better to live in a society where we all believe in human rights. And so that's not something that's literally true if you're an atheist, but it's beneficial to believe. And, and there's been a lot of times where I've, began, I've begun to look at Christianity in some of those same ways and going like, well, asking if it's beneficial and asking if it's true are not the same question. I could not agree more with that. And I think this is, this may be an area where we just have different experiences and differ, although I agree 100% with what you said. I did my dissertation, as Justin knows, on the deaths of the apostles. Did they really die as martyrs? So I've read the New Testament, every single book closely, looking at how many times Jesus said, expect to suffer, you know, pick mm -hmm. up your cross. We have the example of Paul teaching this in all of his books, Hebrews, James, etc. You will suffer. So... What the apostles proclaim is Jesus rose from the grave. We are witnesses of this. And they put themselves in harm's way, not for something they're going to benefit on this earth, but because they think the story is really true. So for me, I've never been a Christian because of what I would get from it. I mean, just read the New Testament, and it's obvious that the apostles are willing to lay down their lives. In fact, it's the opposite. Now, we could talk about a benefit in heaven, but I think that's a different dimension of this. Sure, sure. So I think what happens is, sadly, we tell people, hey, become a Christian, Jesus will answer your prayers. Hey, become a Christian, he'll make you happy. Hey, become a Christian, he'll bring you that spouse. Hey, become a Christian, A, B, or C, and somebody suffers, and they chuck the Christian faith because they've been given a straw man about this, Rather than just look at the New Testament and saying, gosh, actually, if you follow Jesus, it might cost you everything. 
So why follow Jesus? Only for one good reason, if it's actually true, mm. if it's true. So I take students, John, it's interesting. I write up on the board. I say, give me all the reasons why people believe what they believe. And they'll write down psychological reasons. They'll write down cultural reasons. They'll write down emotional reasons. And one by one, we knock them all off. And when it's all said and done, they say the only good reason to believe anything, is not because your parents taught you, your parents could be wrong. Not because some holy book teaches you, what if that book is wrong? Only believe something if it's true. Now, how we know what is true is the follow-up question. But mm -hmm. to me, that has to be the anchor. I think we'd agree on that, not benefits, not what I get from something, but whether this is true or not has to be the heart of the question. I'd love to come back to that in just a moment. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a break slightly early just so we can have a little bit more time to tease these issues out in the next section because I thought that was a, a good place to maybe just put a pause on the conversation. Um, really interesting show today. John Steingard of the Christian band Hawk Nelson, who recently renounced his faith, for want of a better word, um, on Instagram, joins us on the show today in conversation with Sean McDowell, who's a Christian thinker. Um, by the way, steingardcreative.com, if you want to find out more about John, seanmcdowell.org for Sean's website. And I'll make sure there are links, of course, from today's show as well. You can find us over at premierchristianradio.com. John, I, I mean, um, before we talk again with Sean, I'd just be interested, actually, from your perspective, how, how have friends, family and the band members responded to your, your, your recent sort of, you know, revelations on Instagram? Honestly, I, I was really amazed with how, how loving and kind uh, pretty much everyone has been. Everyone that I know, particularly, like, you know, I, I had most of the people close to me were not surprised when I wrote this because we've had a lot of conversations um, I did send a text to like my parents that morning and my wife's parents and, you know, a few close friends saying like, hey, I'm posting this thing today. I don't want you to feel blindsided by it. You know, please, let's talk about it if, if there's things you want to talk about. Um, so I, I, I did make an effort to try and like soften it with some people, but like 90% of my friends are Christian. So this is this is like not uh, easy because it's it's difficult to say that you don't believe without also feeling like you're saying i think you're wrong and you're you know delusional which is i have no desire to say that to people that i love you know um so that's been that's been hard but i've received a lot of grace and a lot of kindness that's that's really good to hear um in a way though it does tie in with something you expressed in in that post you made and what you've said since that um to some extent it might be easier at one level to have simply pushed those those doubts down for the sake of the fact that you do live in a very christian environment and you mm -hmm. up to recently at least were making a living through christian means and and i you know as a the host of this show as a christian working for a christian radio station sometimes you know some some cheeky atheists have suggested well would you be a christian justin if your livelihood didn't mm. depend on it uh, i'm married to a church minister lucy and all that kind mm. of thing and and I, I can't deny that obviously um that's got to have some effect um I, i'm not going to pretend that none of that makes any difference mm. all, all i can do i guess or my only defense is to say well a I am a Christian. I'm not pretending. And B, right. um, the, uh, I, I try to be as objective as I can, but in the end of yeah. all of us are, you know, living in a subjective world and we just have to accept that. And, and we're all doing our best to, to work this out. Well, and I think it's healthy for us to 
to deal with each other and whenever possible assume the be- assume that people are motivated by what they say they're motivated by right like we, everything devolves to a pretty difficult place when when everyone is suspicious of everyone else's motives so so I, I go into these conversations going like I, I assume that you are who you say you are and that you're doing what you're doing because you believe it and and I think life is better if if we all do that. Do, do you ever get that, Sean? People saying, well, if if you weren't a Christian apologist embedded in the Christian, you know, culture, you you probably wouldn't be a Christian or something like that. Typically from people who don't know me, I'll get comments yeah. on Twitter. Like just this week, somebody's like, you know, if you're a Christian, why wouldn't you give all of your curriculum away for free? And I was like, well, I've got a family to support. I give a ton of stuff away for free. And part of me wanted to say, look, here's all these things I do and justify myself. I'm like, give me a break. Mm. Like, this is not going to win anything. This person doesn't know me. I can tell you anybody who knows me, they'll say, yeah, Sean's not perfect as much as the next guy, but he believes this, tries to do scholarship with integrity and takes ideas seriously. I mean, I've had, my, my wife remembers, we dated in, I mean, we dated like a decade before we got married. So she knew me back when I was a kid. And she remembers that night I went to her well before we were married. And I said, I'm not sure I believe this. I can't live Mm. something if it's false. My wife Mm. saw that. So people can say what they may. That doesn't bother me. I just look at, I know you said the same thing, John, that those who know me and I can just look in the mirror and have some integrity. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I I like to say that uh, I I like to say that I've got 15 years of experience ignoring random people on the internet, so <laughs> I think if if someone who I knew deeply know me knew me if someone who deeply knew me was questioning my integrity or my reasons for saying any of the things that I've said I think that would hurt a lot more but I I haven't really experienced a lot of that. Yeah. What, what do both of you guys make of of other stories that are not dissimilar to John's? Um, Last summer, Josh Harris, um, well known as uh, I Kiss Gay Dating Goodbye um, author and went on to become a pastor of a significant church, but kind of came out and said, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. Um, Marty Sampson, uh, former Hillsong worship leader, um, managed to actually sit down and have a coffee with, with Marty in London, actually, not long after and, and get some of his story, though I haven't had him on the show. And then just recently, I, I saw this story about Rhett and Link, who I must admit, I hadn't mm. been very familiar with, but apparently big, big deal in the YouTube world and podcasting and so on, talking about their sort of having been in the kind of evangelical church, moving out of it. And then, and then in the past, you've had Michael Gungers and Bart Campolos, who we've mentioned already. Feels like, I don't know, um, there's been a bit of a, an increase almost, it, it, maybe just anecdotally, but feels like, oh, uh, you know, if you were just watching those headlines, you might think there's some kind of mass exodus from the Christian church, Sean. I don't know. I don't know what your feelings are on that. And, and maybe John whether any of those stories influenced your own decision to come out or whether you were actually unfamiliar with them before you, you, you made your, your choice. I'll, I'll start with you, John, and then, then get Sean's perspective on that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was familiar with Marty and with Josh Harris. I was not familiar with Rhett and Link, although after a bunch of people telling me that some of the stuff that I had said was very similar to what they had said, I went and listened to their stories of deconstruction on their podcast and I mean, right down to the sweater metaphor, <laughs> like they used the same metaphor, or Rhett did. Uh, and, and so I was, I was sort of stunned by a lot of the similarities in, in my story, uh, between Rhett's story and my story. Um, 
And then Michael Gunger, I've been just recently getting into the Liturgist podcasts and uh, and Science Mike as well. Uh, the, you know, the, the dialogue between the two of them is super interesting. And um, I'm just sort of starting that journey right now. So I feel like I have a lot more to learn about their perspective. Hmm. What, what do you make of the, these recent stories, Sean? Well... I guess I could look at it a few ways. Number one, one of the reasons we hear more is we have so many mediums of social media, whether it's Instagram, you share it on Instagram, people on Twitter, on a blog, on YouTube, every single person has a voice today in a way that they didn't even a decade or two decades or three decades ago. So because these kinds of stories are fascinating, and by the way, the blog I did you, John, was shared on Facebook more than any other blog I've ever written. Really? Wow. See, it blew me away. Like, wow. I don't know if it was the most read, but the most shared on Facebook, there's just an interest on all sides of the story mm-hmm. when this happens. So I think a lot of what's going on is a phenomena of just people going, oh, who is this? I know that band. Why? I'm interested. I can relate. And it just bubbles up when we live in this culture where we constantly need something new to entertain us every moment. I think that has some to do with it. As a Christian who's faithful, uh, I'm, I mean, faithful in the sense, I don't want to imply you're not faithful. That was not my point. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. Don't worry. I, I mean, who's trying to live out what I believe to the call of what I think Jesus said. That's all mm. I meant by that. No, you're fine. You're fine. That story is not very exciting to people. It's not very exciting when they go, yeah, Josh McDowell's son went through a questioning period, but he's an apologist too. Yay. Well, Bart Campola comes out and says his dad was a big evangelist. He's now an atheist and the news stories around the country cover it. So I think there's just a huge bias and an interest that moves these stories forward in a way that doesn't necessarily mean it's happening more now than it was in the past necessarily. Although I'd like to see some data if someone does research on it. Yeah, I, I would actually be interested to, to know. I mean, I suppose it, it does perhaps reflect the fact that, that obviously in the West you are seeing, you know, an increase in the nuns and those, uh, you know, who, who simply don't profess any religion. And, and, and is it conceivable that, that, I don't know, is it harder to be a Christian in, a, in an increasingly sceptical environment? You know, I guess when, you know, we all grew up in the 80s and 90s right guys i don't I, I, without asking specific ages here but, but, sure. but for me um i wasn't presented in, as a teenager with masses of skeptical material online as i would be now growing up it's only a google clip away you know now i've sort of put myself into the firing line by hosting unbelievable for for you know the past 14 years or whatever where we encourage and engage these these debates and so on but it, it does it does make me wonder whether it's it's kind of h- harder in a way, uh, you're going to be under more pressure these days uh, to to justify your faith. And if you don't feel, and if you're asked hard questions and you don't have the answers, then then yeah, it might be the case that you, your your faith does either suffer or go belly up in the end. What was your well, experience, John? I mean, do you do you feel like you you say you you had stuffed the questions down? Mm-hmm. And when I saw on your blog, you say, but then I started to think about the problem of evil and the Mm-hmm. Uh, what what about the inconsistencies in, in the gospels and uh and, and so on i thought okay well i've you know i've encountered all of those questions and they've certainly made me question and i've had to go through a period of un- trying to understand but i came out the other side actually feeling more confident actually in, in my faith in, in many respects um but for you obviously 
that was not the same story. So what happened for you? What, what, what would you say sure. were the things that just stuck and did not, you couldn't get past that in the end? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, while I, I totally will be the first to admit that I think when it comes to things like apologetics and like the really intellectual side of theology and faith in God uh, from the Christian perspective, I was underread up until a couple of years ago. Um, and and I think when I started doubting, I mean, my desire was not like, cool, um, I'm free. Now I can just like, sometimes there's this perspective that like people that decide to take a step back from Christianity or from faith, it's because they like want to go out and do a lot of sinning. And like, and that just was not where I was at. I, I genuinely just like, like Sean, like you said, like, like what is true? Like, I really want what is true. And to, to be totally clear, like to this day, my preference is that there is a loving father, you know, that there is a God who has that persona. Um, I would prefer that to be true. I, I went through a period where, where I really, when I was really doubting, uh, where, where I was, I was really depressed because the idea, uh, it's like losing faith in God was like losing your security, losing the, this idea that someone's looking out for you, looking, you know, has a plan for your life. It was devastating. Um, but sorry to, to more to your question, like what that process was like, I, I, I was reading I went through a season where I was getting up at like three in the morning so that I could read for like three or four or five hours before anyone got up. Um, and, you know, I was reading uh, Ravi Zacharias at the same time as I was reading Rob Bell and, you know, reading Sam Harris at the same time as Lee Strobel. So like I, I was I was trying to make sure I was jumping around between people of different points of view so I wasn't pigeonholed into someone else's perspective. Um, and I just came away with this feeling like, oh, everyone is just deciding for themselves what they want to believe. And there's no way to know for sure that that was the conclusion I reached. And then when I reached that, I, and a real key point for me was the inerrancy of the Bible. And going like, okay, if, if the Bible is not the perfect word of God, like I was taught, then like, to your point, Sean, about the anchor, like, what's the anchor? Um, and that was, a, that was a big turning point for me that, that felt like a loss. It didn't feel like a victory, you know? It's interesting to hear you say that. Love to hear your response on that, Sean. Um, and, and what I suppose having encountered... I, I would imagine all of the same objections and so on and, and gone through a period of doubting yourself why you went, why you did feel that there was an anchor there in the end. Yeah. First off. And again, thanks for your vulnerability, John. I know it brings you no pleasure to share some of your doubts, but one of the things I appreciate in your post is you just strike me as very honest and seeking truth. And that's what makes these conversations mm -hmm. great. Two things jumped out to me. One <clears throat> I went through a period of going, gosh, I can't know for sure either. But that's where I shifted my thinking. I don't think mm. knowledge requires certainty. If my level was, I have to know for sure that Christianity is true, I would not be a Christian. I live with doubts. And even in Jude, it says, you know, have mercy on those who doubt. 
to me, doubt is not the opposite of faith or belief or knowledge necessarily. The question for me was, what is the most reasonable? What makes the most mm, sense? Mm -hmm. Even if mm -hmm. I have some doubts and questions, because I know so many people who say, if I can't know for sure, I can't know anything. I think there's a lot of stuff we know for which we don't have certainty. So that's how I approach my faith. When you mentioned inerrancy, I also was taught the Bible is the inerrant, perfect word of God. I mean, few people in the last half century defended scripture more than my dad. But I also, mm -hmm. in my mind, I say, okay, what's the heart central issue? Yes, mm -hmm. it's true. Mm -hmm. But to Christianity, it's not inerrancy. If we had an errant Bible and Jesus rose from the grave, Christianity would still be true. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the Bible's errant. I don't believe that. I, I mean, I think in terms of like, what's the central question? To me, the question is, did Jesus claim to be God? Did he die? Barry raise on the third day. And we can get there through a flawed historical book, through a book that has errors in it. Now, again, I don't believe it's flawed and there's errors. We could talk about why. But at the heart of it, even if I thought there were contradictions in the Bible or there was a mistake, oops, I got one wrong book here, not the other one, I wouldn't chuck my faith. Now, that'd be unsettling to me. It'd make me rethink what's meant by inerrancy, it'd make me rethink a lot of things. But this is why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I pass on you of first importance. It was passed on to me. Jesus died, was buried, rose on the third day. That's the central creed of the Christian faith, that if that was shown to be false, or I didn't think it was true, that would unravel the sweater for me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I, I, can I respond to that real quick, Justin? Is that, is that, um, I, I, I just love so much of that. And and I agree. Um, like I, I've had a couple, actually, since I've posted, like I, my thinking has continued to evolve. And I've, you know, I said earlier that like, I would prefer that God is real. And I found that I have continued to search for a way to believe since I posted, which is funny because I, I kind of thought like it would be this like post- and, you know, now I'm free of this problem and I can go on living my life. And I've discovered that over the last month, I've never thought about God more. I've never thought about it. So it's this really weird thing. And, I, and I've read a ton more. And one of the things that I encountered is this, this book by, uh, and I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly, but Mike McArgue, but they call him Science Mike. I don't know if you're... He's a part of the liturgists, and, and he asks this question in his book, you know, when, when talking about the Bible, is it true? It's like, it's like, think about Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. Is Starry Night true? Uh, and and the, 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 what that question did for me is, is sort of go like, it sort of put me in this place where I wondered, like, maybe asking if it's literally true is not the most interesting question. Maybe... What's more interesting is, is it speaking? Is it, is, it, is it speaking to you? Is it saying something meaningful? And, um, and that's a question I've been pondering a lot, actually, since, since I posted and going like, if I can let go of this, this, you know, this absolutist point of view and, and like just set aside the whole like literal truth thing for a second, like, do I have things that I can learn from it? Um, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. 
Sean? I think that's really thoughtful and interesting. One way I would push back on, on Mike is I would say, yeah, there's valuable lessons in the scriptures. But remember, Jesus said, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus has not risen from the grave, like this faith is in vain. So the, Jesus wasn't just a moral teacher trying to help us how to live our life and be better people. His moral teachings were tied to his claim that he is God and human flesh and died on the cross for our sins. So while I want anybody to look in and get good teachings from Jesus, I'm not sure he would have been okay with people separating the moral message he taught from his larger worldview and vision, which was, in fact, you know, to die on the cross. So mm-hmm. that'd be a little bit of a distinction I, I might yeah, make. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's I, interesting you bring up Mike, though. He's been a former guest on, on this show. And, um, and Mike's story, obviously, as told in that book you referenced, God in the Waves, uh, Finding God in the Waves, um, sort of details his, basically his complete deconstruction where he completely lost his faith and became, you know, basically a, a, a naturalist atheist for a time. And then kind of had this very... I think you would say experiential experience, which yeah. suddenly mm-hmm. kind of God suddenly came crashing back in, but obviously it led him into a very different kind of expression and understanding of that faith. Um, obviously very progressive in his sort of theology and so on now, but, yeah. but nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, ha- some, some kind of a faith now, now obviously my, my guess is Sean for you, it's important that we don't just, if you like, uh, unshackle ourselves entirely from, the doctrines of Christianity uh, mm. that, that it's important that there's a sort of historical truth there that, that needs to be grasped. Um, and, and I suppose the way people reconstruct can be good or not so good in your view, depending on, on, on where they, where they come back to Sean. Well, yeah, I don't think Jesus allowed us to do such a thing when he talks about why he came, when Paul writes in his different letters in particular, first Corinthians 15, the moral message is tied to whether this is true or not. And this is a difference between progressive Christianity and what I would call historic Christianity, more conservative Mm. Christianity. So the heart of the question to me is not, are there moral teachings I can take from Jesus? Because I can take moral teachings from anybody. The heart Mm -hmm. of the question is, did Jesus actually claim to be God? Was he really sinless? Did he die on the cross? If so, Christianity is true. If not, it's false. Then you can take certain moral meanings. But like you said earlier, John, if there is no God, I don't even know what these moral teachings mean because human rights are a human construct. And so everything Jesus is teaching is just a construct and thus would have no authority in your life and in my life, if that's actually the case. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that back home. Um, Because I've had times in this journey where things did feel very wishy-washy, right? Where it's like, it's like, okay, I'm just floating out here and everyone just decides for themselves. Like, this is like, <laughs> what kind of a world is this? Um, so I, I identify with what you're saying and I, and, and I appreciate that you're bringing things back to the anchor of truth that you, that you believe and that you have found to be true in your heart. Um, I, 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 if I can go back to what you said earlier, you, you mentioned that you you did a lot of studying and you looked at like what struck you. It's not that you had absolute certainty. It's that y- you found that w- what you, you asked yourself, what strikes you as the most reasonable conclusion to draw based on what you know? Is that, is that how you said it or? 
Um, and, and I think that that's a really honest approach and, and way of describing, you know, the basis for your faith. Like, think that's great than than so much better than just saying like oh well this is true end of story no discussion um I, the process that i went through i found myself asking the same question and going like based on what i know right now what is the most reasonable conclusion that i feel like i can draw and w- what i had a hard time escaping was the idea that uh that man you know human beings uh, evolved and became, you know, larger societies because using religion as a tool to hold society together that, you know, in antiquity, like there were tribes of people, um, that, you know, sociologically, it's really difficult to get groups of people more than 150 to, to, to adhere as a society because you can only really deeply know about 100, 150 people. So beyond 150 people, in order to, to create a society bigger than that, you need some sort of something. And, and you know, in a lot of what I've read, it sort of indicated that, that religion was something that was a, a really helpful tool. It's like a shared mythical fiction that... that people can use as a basis for knowing like, hey, there's 2,000 people in our people group. I don't know them all personally, but we all believe the same thing. So we're tied together. And when I, when I read about that idea, it changed the way I looked at not just Christianity, but all faiths. You know, the, these faiths that people hold bind a people group together, even when they balloon far larger than than you could possibly know as individuals, um, and that was a that was a thought that sort of led me to this. It 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 aided in me getting to this place where it felt like the most reasonable you know conclusion I could draw was that a lot of Christian beliefs were things that we created in order to adhere a society together, which at times it's done very well. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll have a response from you, Sean, and then we'll go to our final break. Yeah, I, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. It, interesting for me, I look at it the opposite, which doesn't surprise yeah. you is I think if you look at the Christian faith, there's so many things inherent in it that are not the kind of things somebody would create. Now mm. with this, take, let me take a step back. Has Christianity been used as a tool to hurt and control and oppress people? Yes. With so many racial issues going on right now, it grieves me and I lose sleep over how many of my black friends feel and have experienced oppression by people using their Christian faith to do so. That is wrong on so many levels, and we can agree with that. That's an abuse of what the religion actually teaches rather than what it it really is about. So if you're going to make up a religion, I mean, think about the things that Jesus taught. He said, if you want to be first, be last. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, no, it's not just committing adultery. It's the thought in your heart. Hey, true love is this. Lay down your life for a friend. Pray for your enemies. I mean, the teachings of Jesus are so radical. 
and against the religion being used to oppress and marginalize mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. that anybody who does so utterly misses what the Christian message is about. Now, I won't mention them here, but there's a lot of religions. If I was making up a religion, it would look a lot like A, B, and C, because it has and has written into it certain power structures to oppress and control people. When I look at Christianity, I see the life that Jesus lived, the ethic he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. I can't convince myself that people made this up as some tool of oppression and control over others. It's the opposite. Give up your life, lay it down, love people, pray for your enemies. That's why I see that point just differently when I look at the teachings of Jesus. We'll come back to this. Uh, I'd love to explore this a little bit further and maybe open up maybe another important question that you ask in a subsequent Instagram post, John, which was, well, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Um, as, mm. as you put it, no one's arguing over the existence of lettuce or the force of gravity. Um, so so we'll, maybe we'll come to that as well. But um, fascinating conversation today. Um, looking at um, another Christian, uh, significant Christian personality who says they've lost their faith. John Steingard joins us on the show today, uh, along with Sean McDowell, who's asking some of the questions of John and we're having a great conversation. So you're listening to Unbelievable with me, Justin Briley. We'll be back in just a moment's time. If you listen to Unbelievable with Justin Briley on Premier Christian Radio and enjoy the conversations between Christians and skeptics, then this is the perfect app for you. For the latest updates, podcasts, videos, articles, bonus content and much more, download the Premier Unbelievable app today. Final part of today's show with me, Justin Briley, uh, talking to John Steingard of the Christian band Hawk Nelson, who recently announced on Instagram he doesn't consider himself a Christian any longer. And the latest in a number of Christian personalities have made similar statements. Uh, he's in conversation with Sean McDowell on today's show. Uh, again, just a reminder, if you enjoy what you're watching today via our YouTube channel, uh, you can find loads more discussions and dialogues on our channel. Uh, you can also get weekly shows on podcast as well at, over at premierchristianradio.com forward slash unbelievable um so just uh, in in that last section we were sort of covering the kind of interesting question of is it just a religious fiction um but a useful fiction in a way um mm. and and sean kind of came back and said this isn't the kind of thing it strikes me people would invent um the kind of demands that christianity makes on people are are not necessarily easy ones uh, and so on. Hmm. I, what, what were your thoughts on some of that before we move on to maybe talking about some yeah. Of the issues? Yeah, I, I just, I think I should clarify that um, when I, when I describe the thought that potentially Christianity was sort of invented as a, as a tool, uh, I didn't, I didn't mean it as an oppressive tool, although I, I agree with you, Sean, there's been times where it's, it's been that. Um, I, I more meant that it, it, it seems plausible to me that at times Christianity has has been something that's been able to adhere people groups together in a positive way, um, and and I actually agree with you about about the teachings of Jesus. I think they are revolutionary. I think the idea of putting other people before yourself and serving other people is uh, it it strikes me as a kind of alternative wisdom that is. Uh, on the surface, counterintuitive, but somehow deeply true in our hearts. And I think we've all probably experienced in life that like, 
Anytime you've been very, very selfish, it doesn't tend to lead to a very fulfilling life. But when you dedicate yourself to others, when you when you love your spouse sacrificially and you provide for your children and you and you seek to do good in the world for others, it has a way of of making you feel fulfilled and 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 bringing your life meaning. And Jesus absolutely taught that. And um, I, I recognize that you see that as evidence that like that idea couldn't have possibly been from man. And I don't I don't know that I that I see that that conclusion is inevitable. Um, I'm not I'm not smart enough to say for sure. But no, but, but no, it's a good it's a good response because I, I think you know uh, I was having the same thought um, as you there, John. That it could be that it's the benefits. You know, it's, it's the group kind of benefits, if you like. That, yeah. That, that conceivably you're saying Christianity grew because uh, it, it was in that way. Um, mm-hmm. As I say, a, a useful fiction, as, as Brett Weinstein has, has described it on my show as well. Yeah. I mm-hmm. guess the question then for you, Sean, is, well, is it, you know, it's that old thing. Is it uh, true because it works or it works because it's true? There's that sort mm-hmm. of that thing of do we say, oh, because it works, I'm going to invest my life in it and believe it. Or actually, does it work? Because actually the claims at the center of it are actually indeed true. I think that's a fair question. And I wouldn't say just for clarification, it's inevitable that it wasn't invented. That probably is a little stronger than I would put it. I would probably say it makes less sense to me that a religion of this kind was invented because it wouldn't foster the kind of outcomes that somebody would want the way inventing a religion differently would be. That's probably how I would word it a little bit. And I think, you know, the way you said it, I think, I love this, John. You said, when we live a selfishness, it leads to a bad life. When we sacrifice, it leads to a fulfilled life. And we just might differ over this. I look at that and I think that's because humans are designed and meant to live a certain way. There's objective laws in the universe. There's a certain human nature that we have. And if I look at this purposeless, naturalistic evolutionary story, that doesn't seem to fit as much to me as if there's actually a designer who wants us to be generous with others, who wants us to be kind, who actually wants us to lay down our lives and sacrifice. And by the way, the idea of sacrifice doesn't make a lot of evolutionary sense. Now, I know people can make up an evolutionary story. Well, it was wired into us because if you have individuals that sacrifice, then it helps the group. Like you can always make up some evolutionary story. But back to Endgame, because I like superheroes, <laughs> you have this story climax with this mm-hmm. hero who sacrifices for mankind. And there's something in us that deeply resonates that that's not just helpful or beneficial for survival. That's good. In mm-hmm. fact, that's love. That's why when Gamora in the movie Infinity War, you know, Thanos, he realizes he's going to sacrifice her. And she says, this is not real love. It's mm-hmm. not. And we deeply know that. Yet Jesus says, you know, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. So along with the evidence of it being true, I think there's this deep resonance in the human heart that makes more sense if there's a designer that wants us to live a certain way than that these things just bubbled up through this blind evolutionary process that just happens to have us treat this way. I, I think I think that 
uh, I just totally agree that it deeply resonates. And I love the Avengers references. Like, <laughs> if, 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 if every Sunday sermon... And, and Sean goes with the Marvel films every time, you know. If, I, if, if every Sunday sermon involved an Avengers <laughs> reference, I'd be more likely to go to church. Um, but, uh, no, but in all, in all, I mean, the crux of what we're getting to here, because Sean, we agree on so much of this, uh, is we, we agree that there's a resonance in the human heart that sacrifice is valuable and meaningful. Um, we agree on that where we're, where we're coming up a little different is, is that the cause or is that the effect? right? Like it, it's the chicken and the egg. Do, does that resonate with us because that's God's design? Or does that inherently resonate with us for some other reason? And, and that's what led us to, to, you know, as human beings to write these stories and to tell each other these stories and to value these stories and do these stories encapsulate the, you know, are they the archetypes of the human heart, right? Like, are, are they the vehicles by which we communicate our values to the next generation? I, I think about that a lot. And uh, I, I, want, I wonder that. And by no means do I have conclusive evidence. Uh, I just, I wonder that. The, the thing that this whole conversation, part of the conversation is reminding me of is, is part of that journey of C.S. Lewis, actually, when he was mm-hmm. walking with J.R. Tolkien um, in the gardens of, of Magdalen College, Oxford. And, and he said... I find myself attracted to Christianity, but I can't shake this feeling. It's just another story of the mm. dying and rising gods that have begun through mm. history. And we see these motifs again and again. And, and his friend Tolkien said, well, what if it's the true story that all of those mm. are the reflections of? And, and I found that an interesting way of looking at that whole thing, that maybe mm-hmm. there is a sort of something out there beyond us that, that all of these stories, that whether it's Thanos or Tolkien or, uh, or, or even <laughs> other forms of religion, which sort of, you know, overlap and so on and have similar motifs. Uh, but I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Sean. That's just my, yeah. my take on it. First off, I notice you always bring it back to a Brit at some point in the show. That's a I have, to, I have to observe that. There has to be some culture in the, in the show at some point. You know? Well, C.S. Lewis is my absolute favorite author, so I have to support that. So Here, Here's what I would say. If we just had this resonance in the human heart... That would not be enough for me to be a Christian and believe in the resurrection. I might believe in some other dying and rising God. That tells, to me, that's a sign that goes, huh, what does that tell me about being human? What does that Mm. tell us about the universe? And as C.S. Lewis said, you know, there's something in us yearning for this greater truth. But that alone, like you said at the beginning, John, just because we have a desire for something doesn't mean it's true. I go back to the resurrection and I say we have early accounts of this Jesus who lived and who died, who appeared to people, who were willing to put their lives on the line for this. And I think there's good evidence that it's true. So I couple those together. And in some ways, it's the heart component we talked about. Like my heart is resonating for sacrifice. Mm -hmm. My heart Mm -hmm. is recognizing for this act of love. But the mind tells me, God, Jesus really rose from the grave. And this is true. And that's why in the Christian story, I find there's a resonance of head and heart together. Guys, this is so fascinating, but I feel like time is against us and and there's many more things I wanted to to talk about. Um, Look, I'll I'll leave it to you guys because we've probably only got time to do one of these. 
one of the things that you brought up in in your instagram post um john was the issue of the the hiddenness of god to give it its sort of philosophical title but why why isn't it more obvious why doesn't god make his his existence more obvious to us in the way that we we don't disagree about the existence of, of lettuce um there's also an interesting aspect of this that i haven't been seen covered so much but which you did talk about a little with my colleague sam hales on on another interview mm-hmm. for, for premier christianity magazine which is a problem of suffering and evil um and and that's you've had some personal experiences which really brought that problem home in a way that you hadn't really encountered before um Perhaps we'll give you the opportunity, John, to, to choose which of those you'd like us to talk about. Sure. I, I feel like the second uh, the second issue is probably more personal and, and might be might, might be, be more relevant, relevant to more people, okay. I think. Um, although the first one's definitely a big question. <laughs> Maybe for next time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in Canada, lived most of my adult life in the U.S. And, and while... You don't have to leave North America to experience suffering and poverty and, and, and real hurt and real things that feel evil. Um, I, over the last you know five or six years, have done several projects that involve traveling to, to very impoverished areas. And um, in particular, I went to Uganda about a year and a half ago. And I documented a people group there called the Batwa. Uh, so I was a, a filmmaker. I was in the role of filmmaker here. Uh, and so I was capturing these images and hearing these stories. And and there's, you know, this people group is a group that was displaced from their ancestral land, you know, homelands in these forests in Uganda in order to make uh, guerrilla sanctuaries, which would bring in tourists and tourist revenue. And when these people were pushed out, they had nowhere to go. Uh, they had no skills. They've been living off the land for generations. And, and many of the adults uh, were, were very um, discriminated against and, and were even, you know, killed uh, by other locals. And that left this population of orphans um, that, I mean, in some situations would just be found alone, naked, crying in the forest. Uh, and... I saw some of these things and I, and I had just recently had a son and I was encountering these kids that were the same age as my son. And I I can't tell the story without losing it. Sorry. Um, I did not know what to do with that. And I, I had always believed that God was so personal that he would answer even our even our silly prayers, right? Even our prayers for a parking spot at church. And, um, and I really had believed that. And, and here I'm confronted with horrible suffering. I mean, 50% of these children don't make it to the age of five. These are, you know, kids the same age as my son and now my daughter. And to see them suffering like that and, and, and dealing with things that I couldn't imagine... I had a really hard time reconciling the idea, the image that I'd had in my mind of God the Father, you know, the loving God. And like, what father could see this and do nothing? Um, and And I know that there's like, you know, I know that there's like intellectual answers to that question because um, I've read them. But in that moment, and still when I take myself back to that place, those answers feel deeply dissatisfying. 
And um, that was a, a linchpin. I felt like a, I felt like a very big part of my belief was was yanked out from under me uh, through that experience. Sean. John, thanks for sharing that vulnerability as a dad. I have three kids and resonate with that. And I think when it's all said and done, I had a debate a few years ago with this professor and my pastor before he said, you better be ready to answer the problem of evil. I said, why? Because he said, because that's the issue. Look at racism going on right now. At the heart of it is suffering and evil. So my LGBTQ friends have told me, they said, why has God made me this way? Why do I suffer? This is the heart of the issue. And I think you've hit that it's not only an intellectual issue, it's an emotional issue. And that's why it's so hard to feel like we're not just trying to solve a geometry problem here that you distance yourself from. We've experienced it. We've all contributed it to different ways. Uh, And then when it hits us face to face like that, it rocks us. There's no question about that, how much it does. I, I've had a chance to travel uh, just because what my parents do with crusade to Mm -hmm. places like Latin America, different parts of Africa, not Uganda, but other parts in Africa, um, Eastern, Western Europe, Latin America, you name it. And I've seen some pretty similar heartbreaking things like that. And it, I don't know that it ever made me question my faith. And I can just tell you it's for a few reasons. Number one, because as I read the Bible, The Bible's very clear that this is a broken, messed up world. It doesn't pretend like everything is fine if you just believe in Jesus. As a Christian culture in the West, do we do that? Absolutely. So when we teach people, hey, Jesus Mm -hmm. gave that parking lot, he's looking out for you, it's natural to look in Africa and go, go, what the heck? He cares for me, but not these people who are dying? Like, if that's really what the Bible taught, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I'm out. But as I read the Old Testament through the New, it takes sin and brokenness very, very seriously. So I'm emotionally heartbroken the way that you are. But I don't think it surprised me in the sense that made me go, there must not be a God. Now, I'm not going to pretend to lay out the depth of an intellectual argument when this is such an emotion-filled thing. But I do find something interesting in You know, Uganda is 87% Christian and 11% Muslim. I did not know that. There's an article in CBS News, and the title was, I wrote down, the most heavily Christian countries in the world. And Uganda was towards the top, which made me think, as Westerners, we see suffering that's taking place. And that rocks us and make us wonder, where is God? But the Ugandan people, another 11% are Muslims, see that suffering and actually believing in God and that he's personal is the most reasonable response to them. Hmm. I want to know what the difference is. And I think some of it is our expectations. Some of it is our understanding of God and the scriptures. And we've been sold a story in the West about Jesus wants you to have two kids and a picket fence and you can keep the evil and suffering out there. That's not the biblical story. I think there's a lot of people in Uganda and other parts of the world who see that suffering, see that hurt. That's their life. And actually believing in God makes sense amidst the suffering and the pain. Mm. 
There's a friend of mine, and I'm sure Sean knows him as well, um, Dominic Doan, uh, pastor up in Portland, who's written a book uh, very much detailing his own struggles with faith. And, and he tells the story of um, uh, uh, Sister Catherine, I think her name is, in Uganda, and her own um, ex- extraordinary experience of being in very similar situations to what you're describing there, but the fact that she sees God through it. And um, I, I marvel at that because I, I feel a bit like you, um, we know so little in in our western culture of mm. the real it's only when we 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 experience it and and i spent some time in africa as well and seen some of the the awful poverty that does exist and and we're somehow insulated from it in the west aren't we um and and yet as sean says i'm i it's remarkable how within those situations people seem to be drawn towards god rather than thrust away from god uh in in a strange way but um yeah yeah, but what, what can, we, I, can I jump in here with, yeah. with one other thing, if that's okay? This is where Please. I think there, a lot of things are coming full circle. This is where I think ultimately an anchor is so important. And I think of my dear friend, Nabil Qureshi. I think it's been about two years. Um, maybe you know his story, not John, worked with the Ravi Zacharias Ministries, former Muslim, came to faith, absolutely brilliant. Died somewhere in his lower mid-30s because of stomach cancer. And the year up to his death, he was releasing at least weekly videos and they're just powerful. And I watched one video and he said, you know, I don't know why the suffering is taking place. This causes my emotions to just go astray and question everything. He goes, so let me take a step back and remind what I know. And in this video, he says, I know the beginning of the universe points towards the beginner or supernatural cause. I know the fine tuning points towards a fine tuner. The origin of life points towards an author of life. The existence of consciousness points towards a conscious mind. The existence of morality points towards a moral law, the evidence for the Bible and Jesus. In other words, his emotions were so affected by himself suffering, not just seeing it. He's like, I've got to remind myself what is true. So watching somebody of his just prominence and brilliance go through that and bring it back to truth, I thought, man, I don't want to give a simplistic intellectual answer. I think you're right to raise that, John. But on the flip side, when I face suffering, I've got to learn to ground my emotions in what I know is true, kind of like a compass, so to speak. I guess the the issue for you, though, John, just to to bring this back to to that moment you had, was was that feeling of I'm a father, and I know if I had the power to stop my children suffering, I would do everything above and beyond. And the yeah. question was, why doesn't God? Well, and, and also like, you know, I, you know, to, to your point, Sean, about, you know, like talking about how this is a fallen world, like I, I sort of back up from there and I go like, well, he made it. And so like, I'm not, you know, like if God created the universe and created, you know, existence, you know, you let's, let's do an Avengers reference and you know, he has the reality stone, right? He has the reality stone. Reality can be whatever he wants it to be. And somehow, if he's real, if he's there, he chose reality to be what it is. And he chose, if this world is broken, he, you know, if he made it, then he chose it to be this way. And so somehow, the the, the, the brokenness of the world, if he is real, the brokenness of the world falls back on his plate to me. And, 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 and then I go back to the same question you and I have, 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 have agreed on this whole time is, 
what is the most reasonable explanation? And, uh, and I know we don't see, uh, you know, the answer to that question the same right now. Uh, uh, but I, I think that is the only honest way to approach the question. And I think you're doing that. And, and I really appreciate that. I think that's very fair. And I think you're exactly right. That's the heart of the tension here in this conversation. I guess I'd say a couple things. Um, one is we can only take the earthly father illustration so far when we talk about mm -hmm. God, the heavenly father. This is language that helps us understand something true about God, but it's only true insofar as it goes. And I think when it comes to God being sovereign over all of creation, it's different than my responsibility on a horizontal level to my kids as a father. Now we could take that a million different directions that's one distinction I would make. You know, another one, you're right, to use the Thanos example, the reality stone. Yes, he does have the reality stone. But even in the Avengers, all that power is limited by the free choice of people within the universe. None of those stones could make a reality any way because he could, they can't control the way people think and the way they act. Otherwise, he would have and Thanos would have won in the end. So I know that you've talked about being aware of the free will defense and mm -hmm. this only takes us so far, but it does fall back on God in one sense. But we also have to say, is it worth it for God to make a world in which we can love him and we can be in loving relationship with other people? I don't think God can make a world like that where there genuine can, can be love without the option of people choosing not to do so. It sounds like what you're just it sounds like what you're what you're describing is heaven in heaven uh i mean so i mean maybe you've encountered this before but this is a thought i've mulled over and you may have a great answer for it and I'm, i welcome it um uh but it seems to me that in heaven you know there will be no more sin so does that mean there's no free will in heaven and it seems to me that like, why couldn't God just, if God created us and wanted to be in relationship with us and wanted there to be no, no sin, no separation between us and him, why not just create a world like heaven? Why even go through this, uh, the preliminary? Well, God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipotent. He can do everything. But there's certain things that even power itself can't do. God cannot make a square circle. It's impossible. I'm not sure God could make a heavenly state and skip the in-between state to get there. Here's why. Because in heaven, all the people who are there have chosen by their own free will to be in relationship with God. And then when we get to heaven, there's not only a choice to do this, there's a full transformation of the spirit of Christ in our character from the inside out. And I would argue that we do have free will in heaven, but just like you and I wouldn't take our kids to use a morbid example over freeway and like drop and go, Hey, I wonder if they can bounce. Like I have the power to do that, but there's absolutely nothing inside of me that would ever do that. And neither would either of the two of you. Cause we understand how devastating that would be. I think when we get to heaven, we're aware of even the slightest small sin, what we call how devastating it is to God. And so we have clarity. Just like it says in Corinthians, we see through a glass darkly. So 
I don't think he could have just skipped this step on the inside if the goal is to be in relationship with people who want to be in relationship with him, if he's going to make beings that actually can choose to love and choose not to love. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that answer before, and that's, that's helpful. I still, I still feel like it's a bit of mental gymnastics that goes on to explain that. Um, you know, like, if, if free will is necessary for a, relation, a real relationship with God, and yet no sin in heaven, does that mean that our free will is somehow suspended? And how do we have a relationship with God that's meaningful at that point? You, you're... Your answer does somewhat answer that. It it just it feels guess, a little I proportionist. Guess, I mean, coming back and we we are running short of time here, but sure, I'm sorry, but, but, but no, no, I, I I've so appreciated the conversation. I'd love to have all the time we could to uh, to to just chase down these 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 different issues. Um, I would love to chase down some of these issues, and and it's been so good hearing hearing both of you. I mean, in in the end, obviously, John, and we'll start to wrap it up here. Uh, you 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 don't find yourself in the same position as Sean. Um, mm-hmm. you, you're on the same page when it comes to, you've got to go with where the evidence leads, that you've got to sort of, um, what makes best sense where you are. And what I've enjoyed about you actually in this this stage you're in, John, right now is you, you seem very open to saying, okay, I'm open to being convinced. I'm not, you're not, uh, I've sometimes meet, if I'm honest, um, Christians who have rejected their faith and, and have almost swung in entirely the opposite direction where you could hardly ever imagine them being convinced again. But it feels to me like you're saying, I'm not in the same place you are, Sean, but I'm open to learning. And, and what, I suppose my final question to you, John, would be what, if, if you, we saw a different Instagram blog for you, from you in a few years time or something, and maybe something had turned a corner and you put the pieces back together, woven the, the sweater back, back again in some form. Um, what, what, what might that look like? What would you think it might take for, for, for that to happen? I've spent so much time thinking about that question because I, I, I do f- feel dissatisfied with the idea that the physical world is all we have. Um, and I do feel like I experience, I, I feel like I experience moments in life where I feel like I'm touching the edge of something like ancient and like, I mean, almost like holy is the only right word. Um, Like I have moments when I'm playing with my kids where I'm just like, this moment matters. You know, I, I walked into the cathedral of Montmartre in, in Paris and it felt like this place is special. Um, to, to be fair, I also walked into the uh, to a, a mosque in Abu Dhabi and felt a similar thing. Uh, so I don't know what to do with those, but I desire. I, I I want to know more about the infinite, you know, like, and I want to believe in God. I just don't know what that means yet. Um, I'm I'm thoroughly dissatisfied with 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 nihilism, <laughs> and and so uh, so that's why I enjoy these conversations with both of you guys because Sean, you have a perspective um, that that's different than mine, and I feel like I've 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 like made a mental note of half a dozen things that I want to go learn more about through this conversation, and um, 
and that's what it has to be, right? Like for, for any of us, like, I don't think anyone's faith is a destination. I feel like it's a journey. It's a process. I don't, you know, just the same way that a doctor, they say that you practice medicine, a lawyer, you practice law. I want to practice belief and, um, and, and hopefully find, find that it takes me closer to, to what is true. And, um, and, and I feel like conversations like this are, are, are a part of that. And so to reject it outright, that's not an honest searching for truth. That's an emotional reaction to hurt. And that's what you see from when people come out and say that they no longer believe. And if it's resentful and if it's bitter, it's, it's because they're hurt and, and they're reacting out of that place. And, and I'm making an effort to, to process it differently. Yeah. Well, I've, I've really appreciated your, your honesty and openness and vulnerability, as, as Sean has said as well, John, on today's show. Sean, any final thoughts as we close out today's show yourself? Oh, thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks for your, uh, your honesty and vulnerability and questions. And I've seen a number of people have had conversations who leave the faith and are just angry and dismiss all of it. Um, so it's refreshing to see an openness that's there. If I, you didn't ask for this, but if I just could humbly offer one word of encouragement for maybe anybody who resonates with your story, I would encourage you. And this is not something you haven't thought of. And it's something I think about in my own life as well, just at a different angle, is to shed some of the false ideas of cultural Christianity that you and I have so grown up in and ask, what is it that Jesus really, really taught? And what is the gospel? And why is it that this person who lived has turned the world upside down more than anybody? I mean, it's amazing. Every religion wants a piece of Jesus. New Age wants him. Islam claims him. <laughs> uh, Buddhism says he's enlightened. There's something about this person. And when you grow up in the church, your experience and mine, we naturally like the air we breathe and the water we swim in imbibe certain things about Jesus and assume that it's true. And so much of my life is just reading the gospels going, oh my goodness, how did I miss this? What? I've been told A, B, and C, and this is different. So I think you started this and I sense that in your original post that you're like, some of these things about cultural Christianity I separate myself from, my encouragement would be to just keep going there and separate those things from what the message is that Jesus really taught. Guys, thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much. Uh, there's uh, going to be links from today's show if you want to find out more about uh, John and Sean. Uh, for the moment, though, thank you both for being with me and we'll see you next time. <laughs>